I'm Shreen Patek, and you're listening to the Modern Retail Podcast, where I speak with executives leading the reinvention of retail and brands. Before we get to our very special guest today, I want to have modern retail reporter Anna Hensel in to talk about a story that she covered this week that I thought was really interesting. Hi, Anna. Hi, Shireen. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you. So you wrote a great story this week that I thought had a lot of different pieces that we could talk about individually. So the story was basically about a survey uh, that a group of Target workers uh, did about their own peers, their Target employees. And the survey sort of covered everything from how many hours people work to whether they feel like they're getting enough hours to make a decent living. And there was a lot of different things in there. Tell me a little bit about sort of the top line results of the survey and sort of how it how it came about. Yeah. So uh, I think the first thing that is interesting to mention or notable to mention is just uh, how kind of disconnected stores are from one another uh, in terms of bigger retailers. Uh, So basically, you know, if you work at in a store at a big retailer like Target, you're probably not going to have a be part of a Slack channel that connects you to workers at other stores. So you don't quite get a lot of insight into is something new we're trying at our store working at another store. Hmm. Um, second, the way that a lot of uh, big box retailers like Target try to measure employee satisfaction is by doing a lot of surveys that are usually distributed by store managers to employees. Um, And what that adds up to is that this group of target workers felt like they didn't have a really good sense of uh, what workers at other stores were experiencing, what was working for them, what doesn't. So they set out to do their own survey of workers at other stores. Uh, One of the part-time workers I talked to who spearheaded this, he uh, went in person to some stores and distributed flyers, letting employees know, hey, we're doing the survey. Uh, He also posted in some uh, online groups that target workers had set up independently for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what they found is uh, one of the biggest points of frustrations is that um, it's very hard for a lot of target workers to make a living on just their target job. Nearly 30% said that they were working one other job in addition to their target job. 6.2% said they were working two jobs in addition to Mm -hmm. their target job. Um, And so the survey also delved into, um, you know, have you ever worked while technically off the clock? Do you consistently take your 15-minute breaks? How would you improve uh, the way different departments in stores are run? Uh, And so kind of the, I would say, the two biggest pieces uh, that the people who organized the survey found was that, um, you know, one, people want more hours, and two, workers you know, would like more say and kind of a more clear line of communication to uh, the corporate team to suggest changes to make, which is just a, I think, an ongoing challenge for every retailer. So what is what is the end goal of Target Workers Unite, which was the group that kind of put this together? Right. What what are they what are they trying to do? Because I think, you know, there's a few things in here about minimum wage, about wages, but there's a few things here that feel like very um, that the re- that they're the results of structural changes happening at Target and also structural changes happening in retail as a whole. What is right. the group's end goal? Yeah. Uh, so they after they did the survey, they released kind of a 10 point platform, um, basically changes that they are 
suggesting that Target corporate make. Um, so some of them are a little, there's some that say, uh, you know, they want Target to pay workers living wage. They want Target to give all workers access to health care. There are also some other suggestions in there. Uh, so, for example, one of the things that Target has been testing is this new plan called Modernization, which basically changes how their stores run. Uh, the goal is to revamp stocking processes. So, in theory, workers can uh, stock the back room more quickly, but then also spend more time on the floor interacting with guests. And in theory, this plan will allow them to do that without uh, having to hire more people. And so uh, one of the changes that they made as part of this modernization plan was they cut the number of uh, overnight backroom shifts because Target basically said, you know, we have revamped stocking processes, so overnight shifts aren't necessary. Some workers are saying, actually, no, we need these shifts uh, because they're saying that we actually don't have enough People working on shifts solely to stock the back room to get it done in time. Got it. Okay, so let's let's take a step back from Target for a minute because you, you've also sort of covered a lot of these. Well, some of these issues kind of is a separate piece. And I remember you'd written a little bit about sort of the end of sort of salaried retail, um, which is really interesting because I think there's this misconception in a way that like retails all these sort of hourly wage workers. Right. There's actually a lot of mar- managers who work salaried retail. Again, a lot of pressures on that. We've talked about also just, you know, our kind of renewed focus a little bit on sort of workplace issues and retail here and retail businesses changing and the impact it has on those workplace issues. Where does this kind of go from here? Because, you know, and I know these are all different issues, but you're seeing, okay, in Amazon, there's a different pressure point there on warehouse workers and what happens to them. There's a lot going on to your point with dark spaces and buy online pickup in store and all these different changes then affecting people's lives. And then you've got now groups sort of starting, at least it feels like, to push back and say, hey, this isn't good enough. You're going to have to do something because you've made all these business changes but not counted for the people effect. I'm asking you to crystal ball. What happens? Does anything happen? Because the cynic in me a little bit thinks like, yeah, okay, these multi-multi-million dollar businesses and in Amazon's case, multi-billion dollar businesses, yeah, the customer is always going to come first and whatever it takes to get the customer same day delivery, whatever it takes to get the customer sort of still paying them, that's all that really matters. Right. Uh, so a couple things. I think one, a lot of we- retail workers are really nervous right now. Um, they know the industry is going through a lot of changes. Some companies are going bankrupt. Uh, so I think that that is prompting some people to speak out more or like this group did set out to survey other workers to see how they feel, to kind of get a collective group behind certain changes they think to be made. Uh, In the grand scheme of things, yes, I think it is going to be really hard for workers to convince uh, retail corporations to kind of... uh, take their word into account more or to make some of these uh, changes like increasing wages um, and bringing back more shifts just because, I mean, they have such a huge workforce. And again, a lot of these stores are really disconnected from one another. Um, But I mean, I think that you will continue to see more workers uh, try to speak out. Um, There's also especially with retailers that have declared bankruptcy. Um, A group of Forever 21 workers try to unionize, Mm -hmm. for example. Uh, So I also do think you will see more collective action from workers who are at struggling retailers the more that uh, these signs that things aren't working at their retailer 
more signs appear that things aren't working. It is interesting. It's like you, you see, you know, we hear so much about the modernization of retail and so much of the attention has really focused on the robots, <laughs> the smart mirrors, the RFID, the, the those things, which really, I think, in my opinion, really account for really a 0.5% of the entire retailer business model, which is ultimately people-based. And I think a lot more attention has been placed on the first where it really should have been on the other. And that's one that I think you're going to be covering a lot more of uh, in the coming months, right? Right. I think uh, sometimes people think that the biggest threat to retail workers' jobs is that uh, there will be more automation, which is definitely still a valid threat. Uh, but also, to your point, you know, there's lots of other changes taking place that uh, can threaten how these how these workers' jobs um, and how they run uh, that are more immediate than just automation. Great. Well, Anna, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. And now for the interview. We generally have startup brands and retailers on this podcast of a certain type. Today's a little bit of a departure, at least for me. Sunday is a DTC brand out of Boulder, Colorado, that makes what I'm going to call for simplicity's sake, meal kits for lawns and yards. And of course, they're pesticide-free. Joining me today is co-founder, Coulter Lewis. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you, Coulter. Okay, let's, let's start with the basics here. What is Sunday and is meal kits appropriate? It's okay. I think from a, from a business trajectory standpoint, maybe maybe not. Um, but uh, no, I, I think Sunday is a direct consumer lawn care company. We use data um, about your property to give you exactly what you need when you need it. So kind of demystifying this thing is very complex, um, and employing kind of the leading edge uh, turf science and plant science on a it on a scale as small as your backyard. Got it. Okay, let's let's sort of start breaking that down a little bit. That sure. sounds great. That's on your site. Um, what does that look like? Okay, a customer is like, all right, I have some needs for my yard or my lawn. They, how do most people generally hear about you? Through multiple channels, they hear about us. Um, I mean, what it looks like for them is they're um, a lot of times they have a home, they have a lawn, they need to take care for it, um, and it's their little plot of land. It's something pretty emotional and, and pretty important to them and they don't know how right mm -hmm. and it's and it's actually a really complex thing and unless you're spending your weekends reading about lawn care <laughs> and things like that uh it, you just don't you don't have that confidence right full disclosure i did not spend my weekend <laughs> yeah so i used to live in new york too and i realized the idea of lawns is kind of a foreign concept a little bit but then you think about central park and how special that is and how important it is and how you wouldn't want it to be really toxic right so sure. i think that that's how you can relate to people's backyards um but yeah so we demystify this thing um, and it's delivered to the door uh, instead of going to Home Depot or Lowe's or one of mm -hmm. the large retailers and, and trying to figure out what you're going to get and kind of uh, enduring that that complexity. Um, we provide you with exactly what you need without any of the toxic stuff. Right. So, yeah. so they, you know, so they're what kind of products are we talking about? And then, you know, sort of you're doing the delivery system. How does kind of like the business model work? Walk me sort of a little bit through sure. through how it all comes together. Sure. So you, you visit uh, Sunday.com or GetSunday.com um, and put in your home address. And so we actually ask for your home address as the first point of entry, which is really unusual. But we do that for, because we want to pull data about your property. In order for us to be an expert, we need to know a lot. Um, and so given that address, we can pull your 30-year climate historicals, which is a database we built off of all the NOAA uh, station weather data. Um, we pull uh, real-time weather we pull soil data from U.S. government um, to understand your, the composition of your soil. Um, and we use all of those factors along with some questions we ask you to create a plan that's custom for your lawn. Um, and so what we end up delivering then is is these nutrients that are tailored to that property um, and tailored to that time of year. So behind the scenes, I, I really geek out over all the science that goes on. Let's, let's geek out. This, sounds, <laughs> this is fascinating, actually. And this is genuinely very unusual and I think unique, which is probably what's working for you. So, yeah, how, how does it all kind of come together? Yeah. So, it, it um, I mean, in, behind the scenes, what we're doing is we're 
actually modeling grass growth. We, we use you know established equations from the turf science industry. We, our chief science officer is a guy named Frank Rossi from Cornell. He's an absolute icon in the space and a genius. Um, and we model grass growth behind the scenes. So we know exactly based on your environmental conditions how much your grass is going to grow, how much is in stress, and things like that. And we we work around those things to make sure we're getting what needs when it needs it. For the end user. We want to hide that complexity, right? Because it, 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 maybe they don't want to dig into that level of geekery. <laughs> um, and so they, um, they just, we want to deliver them the confidence, like, I, I know what I'm doing, I know why I'm doing it, and it's going to work, mm-hmm. um, which is a huge departure from what it looks like now. Got it. So they've gone to GetSunday or Sunday.com. They've entered in their address. They're, you're behind the scenes looking into yep. the actual sort of composition of what, what they're talking about, of everything from weather and so on. What, what does the customer see next? Uh, so the customer um, sees their plan, which is a full season of products that are going to be delivered, and typically three shipments, um, and exactly what they're going to get and when. And that may adjust a little bit based on their, their weather, but it's pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, and their first kit they get in the mail is a, is a box they open up, and it has um, two typically two um, fertilizer pouches or nutrient pouches, as we call them. Um, it comes with a soil test as well. So their actual first step is to go out and dig a hole in their lawn and put that dirt in a bag and put it in their mailbox for us. And and for us, when we were doing our beta testing early on, we were like, wow, this is a big ask. I'm not sure anybody's going to actually do this. And almost all of our customers do it. It's amazing. Yeah. I think that makes sense. But you've basically captured a lot of intent already, right? These are people who clearly care yes. about, about their lawns or their yards, et cetera. So you've already got people who are already in that segment, however you're segmenting them. So mm-hmm. I'm actually, it's interesting that you thought this wouldn't work, but people are definitely going to be into that. Well, our segment actually isn't like lawn care nuts. It's not, we sure. really push uh, against the idea of this absolutely perfect manicured, you know, lifeless mm-hmm. plot of, um, you know, uh, almost synthetic, but alive grass. Yeah, yeah. I know <laughs> that, exactly what you mean. I think yeah. I've seen those. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's the old, old school image of, of what the perfect lawn is. And we don't think that's, that's right. I mean, hmm. I, I know for us, it's something that's entirely full of life. It's got kids taking a digger when they're trying to make the catch and full of butterflies and bees. And, you know, that's the lawn that I think we should all aspire to have. And our customers are really not people who are super in their lawn. They're the ones who are like, I know it should look better. I don't really want it to be poisonous. I don't know how. Um, and, and they come to us. Do you work on a subscription basis? We do, yes. Okay. And so it's a yearly subscription. Uh, we have a very different model where we actually charge uh, on day one for that full year of service. Mm-hmm. Um, so sure. you know, kind of the anti. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have the. It's nice to have the revenue kind of in before. <laughs> sure, before. From, from a cash flow standpoint, it, it, it definitely makes sense. Um, it also it's great to have their customers engage for that time period and, and not have them churn out immediately because we, we give them enough time to actually see some, see some good results. Sure. Let, let's go back a little bit to the beginning because. Um, I kind of did a little poll of our newsroom before uh, before you came in, and I was like, oh, this is sort of an interesting company coming in. It's a little bit different for us. Um, yep. And, you know, I, I don't know it. what is kind of the, the history here. And a bunch of people sort of heard this big chorus of people, and they were like, oh, Chemlon. Do you know Chemlon? <laughs> and Chemlon, so when I was younger, uh, Brian Morsey, who also hosts another Digiday podcast network podcast, said to me, when I was younger, there's a put all this chem lawn and then I couldn't go out into the lawn for like two days. But then after that, the kids would just go and play and just firstly, it was called chem lawn. I, yep. I believe they've rebranded to true green. Yes. Um, but, but that was the, the market that you were seeking or are seeking to change. What, at what point, I mean, you're, you know, you don't have a lawn background. Nope. <laughs> you were came from a very different, came from a very different background. At what point did you sort of think, okay, this is a business a, and B, this is a business I want to be in. <laughs> I, I'll be honest; it's a little bit surreal to be on podcast talking about lawn care. I didn't, I didn't see this. It, it told me this three years ago. I, I wouldn't have imagined it. Um, but the way I got here actually is, 
is through a few kind of steps. Um, you know, I, I worked at a company called IDEO where I was a product designer um, for a long time and, and really dug into ethnographic research and learning what people's deepest needs are um, and designing solutions around that. And so that was, a you know, an inspiration for me that I carry everywhere. Um, and that ended up leading me to start a company with my wife called Quinn Snacks. And so Quinn is a snack brand. You'd find it on almost all grocery stores in the U.S. at this point, um, pretzels and popcorn, things like that. Um, but behind that brand is an incredible focus on the supply chain and the ingredients in our farmers and growers. Uh, and to the point where we spend a lot of time in field, uh, you know, we, we bring our family out every year to our organic uh, corn growers' um, uh, fields. And, and it's just an incredible, like, connection to earth. It's, it's, it's maybe the most romantic and beautiful version of of growing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had that exposure, right? And then I have three boys. We bought a home uh, and I went to Home Depot to care for my lawn because I buy some stuff, excited to do it. And now I'm standing on an aisle and, and like you can smell it before you get there. Um, and then when you get there, it's it's pallets um, stacked high with bags of, of chemical fertilizer covered in caution labels. And, and I just had that contrast where I'd experienced something so different just previously. And I was like, this feels wrong. Why why does it look like this? This just doesn't, just doesn't sync with where we are. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to learn, you know, because that's my, my background is, is to understand the problem and why it exists. And as I dug into it, uh, you know, I, I went into open mind. Like, maybe it's this way for a reason. Maybe this is the best solution. Maybe we do need just to douse it, right? You can't just walk into being like, I'm going to disrupt this without yeah, knowing no. why it hasn't been disrupted. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, there's got to be, it hasn't changed in half a century. There's got to be a reason. Um, and so as I dug in, a couple of things, like just completely, I had like a mini Aaron Brockovich night. It's <laughs> just like, you know, learning and, and completely blowing my mind. One is that it's our third largest crop. So there's 40 million acres of lawn in the U.S. That makes a tie with wheat. So literally amber waves of grain, we have as much lawn as we do as that, you know? So it's this massive swath of our country is it growing are there more lawns yes it's growing every single year yes yeah when they they build new homes they build them with a lawn that's that's the way it's going to be uh and so we have this massive amount of land but the way we're treating it is kind of the worst 1950s style agriculture where we cover the entire thing in pesticides and herbicides just in case you might have a problem not in response to an actual problem and so what that results in is lawns get about five times more pesticides per acre than industrial farms uh, and so you have like people's values that they, you know, employ in their home and with their food and with the clothes they buy and those things. And then their literal backyard has yellow flags from that, that are EPA mandated to say that's unsafe for people. Um, and I just like that, that chasm, that, that contrast it just needs to be resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I got just so excited about the scale of the problem and, and the ability to you know, potentially solve it. What is, so you sort of mentioned there's a lot of lawn, <laughs> yeah. um, but in, in terms of kind of starting to think about this as, you know, we talked to, I was saying earlier, you clearly saw a business. What made you think, okay, I'm going to do this, A, but also, you know, I want to do this direct to consumer. I mean, why did you choose to go down, down this route? Um, and, you know, you we have so many founders on this podcast and I ask them this and sometimes a lot of them start and say, you know, I didn't want to go direct to consumer. I There is a business out there and creating an amazing product like you have that is truly different and just going and saying to wholesale, hey, we'll do it. Why yep. did you choose to do it yourself? And that's what I know. You know, that's what we did at Quinn Snacks. That, that was the entire business. So that was that was my background. Um, and I didn't go into this knowing it would be direct to consumer. It actually ended up being the, the best solution we could come up with was direct to consumer. It, it, that enabled us to do this custom approach. So what I learned um, then talking, like seeing this massive problem and then talking to people and saying, well, why does it look that way? What's going on here? Uh, I talked to people and I, like lots of people, <laughs> and asked them about their, their lawn, their, their relationship to it, how they deal with it. And every single time I heard the same thing, you'd be like, I'm a little different. I don't know a lot about this. And I'm like, well, you're not, because everyone says the same thing. 
you know as much about lawn care as a typical homeowner. Like people you just make me feel good. <laughs> it's it's not something that people are reading books on. They're about people sure. just studying up on. So um, the re- realization we have is like, well, that's our way in. If we can if we can take that burden off the customer, we can be the expert for mm-hmm. them. Then they can have that wonderful moment of caring for their property, seeing great results, and all the pride that comes with oh. that, without all the questioning and insecurity that goes with it. Did you did you think, or was there ever a point when you were starting to sort of conceive of the business plan here that you said, you know? I will just take this to Home Depot. And I can still I can still control. Look, people have done, and to your point, you have a backer. You've done this before. So you can, I know that you can control the brand. Yes, a little bit differently, but yeah. you can. You can say, like, you're going to be on those shelves, on those pallets, looking different, feeling different, without that smell. Yep. And in some ways, maybe that could have been a great opportunity, too. You're next to all these things that are clearly worse mm-hmm. products. But you chose not to. Or was that just something that you wanted to do this way differently? We just we fell in love with the approach that we created, um, with this idea that we could use all of this data that was readily available to be smarter and make a, and make a better solution for our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt like you know if, if we were still on that shelf and it was a big sack of stuff and it was like set your spreader to setting four and if you overdo it you're going to kill your lawn and all of those those things that we wouldn't have full control over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the, the kind of the zenith the, the the real solution that we wanted to establish and start with was what we saw. That's the best one. Got it. Um, and that, that involved knowing our customer really, really closely. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk a little bit more about knowing your customer um, after a quick ad break. Okay, so we're talking about lawn care. And, uh, you know, something you said, Coulter, just really is really, I think, what is the crux of something we've talked a lot about on this podcast, but also in general, but what's happening with direct-to-consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I have this conversation, like, what does it mean to be direct-to-consumer? A lot of so-called DTC brands, you know, sell 40% wholesale, 50% wholesale. And one argument I get back, which is interesting to me is sort of, look, we have a more direct relationship with our customers because we understand customer data. You're clearly sort of a data first kind of company. You're starting with that right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Let's talk the other way. How are you using and sort of understanding and synthesizing the data you're then getting back from your customer, both for marketing and for product? We can go with marketing first because I'm curious about how you start a business like this and advertise it. Sure. Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting. I, I guess it would it would um, it would make sense that a lot of that data absorption and, and, and distillation and, and outcome would be on spreadsheets and, and through massive data sets. And we do have some of that, but a lot of it is that we have a huge customer service team, mm-hmm. um, and outnumbers all of us. So our entire office is almost feels like it's run by our customer service team. Um, That's unique. Yeah, and that was you know that was uh, that was a decision we made early on. And, and honestly, if you asked me this time last year, what I was most afraid of it was like, could we build a great customer service um, team? Okay. And, and we did, and they're amazing. Um, and we are all in the same room together. And when someone has an issue or calls, we all hear it. Um, it's part of our discussion. And when there's ideas for a better solution and how to meet customer needs better, um, that's part of our discussion. So it's just we all are immersed in that every day. Got it. Let's take a quick sidebar. I'm curious about like the most interesting request your customer service team has gotten. <laughs> now I'm just really curious. Um, it's interesting. It's a really hot-button topic, mm-hmm. um, lawn care. Uh, and so we get a lot of people who are very upset that we we think some of these things are not good for your family. Um, and they, they feel a lot of pride in, in the product they've been using for 20 years. And so they get very, very upset at us for um, blowing the whistle on that. Uh-huh. And then simultaneously, we get people on the other side who said, why are you caring for lawns? You should be growing gardens. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so there's, it's interesting to have these two extremes battling each other over our brand. And we're like, look, we're trying to make something that is absolutely there as our third largest crop, incredible scale, and growing every year and make it better. 
Yeah. Um, and so, you know, our, our take is, um, you know, should we all be riding bikes instead of driving cars? Yeah, I guess so. But, probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but, it, you know, that's that's maybe um, not the best near-term impact to people who ride bikes. Maybe, maybe it's to make a Tesla. And so that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you're getting all this data back from your customers. And because of a customer service team, you have a significant more amount of it because you have people talking to your customers all day. Yep. Um, what's your marketing strategy been? Um, it, uh, a few things. I mean, I think we're we're going after uh, a few key pillars um, that kind of deliver value to our customers. Um, and, and something I learned early on at, at Quinn was like we we were so excited about our supply chain, all these sort of things. And then when you're in Whole Foods doing samples and getting people's feedback, you realize that if it doesn't taste good, nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. Right? You've got to deliver on the, on the core thing that people are what they need right now, right today. Um, and so the core value we lead with for Sunday is not not about how it's pesticide free and how it's safe for your kids and pets and those. Sort of things. We actually don't um, lead with that. We lead with the fact that it's really, really easy and it works incredibly well. Um, and that's where our customers are. And so like, we, our biggest markets are in the middle of the country, right? And so um, we're also very unusual in that um, for a direct-to-consumer brand, we're really not about coastal millennial. That's that's not our focus at all for obvious reasons. Um, and so we're, we're appealing to kind of a more uh, mass market. So where do you spend your money when it comes back? <laughs> uh, we, we spend a lot of money on Facebook and Instagram for now, for sure. Um, you know, we, we still, still, despite of what everyone's saying, yeah, it still works. No, you know, I, th- I think uh, it's an absolutely massive audience. It's, it's where our customers are. Um, we we shipped our first product in April of last year. So we're very... Very new, very young, um, and um, seeing a really good um, traction there. Yeah. So uh, we do that. We also have done radio. Um, we've done uh, direct mail, um, and uh, you know a few other alternate channels. But but that's been our primary yeah. channels. Yeah. Direct mail is sort of like the dark horse of DTC brands these days. <laughs> a lot of I get a lot more. Yeah. Well, I think everyone's trying trying new things also as as uh, CPMs go up on Facebook. So yeah, that um, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, What's your growth plan? You have money from investors, including Forerunner, et cetera. What what comes next? What does it mean for it on a product basis, but also what's your plan for the company? You know, my biggest challenge is focus. Always has been. Uh, I get really, really excited about all the things we can do and all of the problems I see that we can solve um, and how our approach is a perfect fit. Uh, so I'm, I have these two voices in my head. One is all these things we can make and I want to make. The other is the realization that, um, again, with just how massive this market is and how much penetration, um, how much scale we can get through just a minimal amount of penetration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a market that is the average American uh, home spends $504 a year on DIY lawn and garden. Mm-hmm. That's multiples larger than mattresses or razors and all these other things, right? It's an absolutely massive spend category of people's lives because it's, it's an ongoing need that they go out every weekend and they care for it. And, and that's why we call it Company Sunday. We want to be part of that experience is pretty special. Um, and so I think for us right now, it's about focusing and being really, really good at what we do about mm-hmm. how people care for their lawns. It's interesting because you've got you've got this challenge, which is, yes, you're not focused on coastal millennials. You're focused on sort of probably people who own homes and therefore are just from a different, there's just a different demographic. At the same time, are these the same people that, you know, are have been these are the same people who have been using Home Depot and Lowe's, et cetera, all the stuff you mentioned for twenty years, which is why you're getting those calls. Yep. Talk a little bit about kind of the customer education part of this, because you chose to go direct to consumer so you could have more control, but mm-hmm. also that's brought with it its challenges because you now have to talk to these people directly. Mm-hmm. What's your approach been with that? 
It's a little conundrum there. Well, I think it's about learning and testing. And so we, we've we've tried, you know, how, how many thousands of different messaging and, and styles and, and learn what gets traction. And for me, that's actually one of the, the most fun parts about what we do is, is finding where people are today, understanding the value we can deliver to them and not trying to push them into some bucket or, or our value set mm-hmm. um, is, is going to exactly where they are and what they need. And again, it, it's, it's really about um, this is easy. I don't have to worry about all the things I don't know about. Um, and it's going to work really well. And so, you know, it's, it's fundamental and maybe boring as those values are. We need to hit those. And that's, sure. that's where we start. Is there a ceiling to being DTC as far as you can tell? Because I've heard a lot, a lot about, look, can a brand be purely direct to consumer and hit $100 million? Can it be purely direct to consumer and hit 150? At some point, do you have to either start thinking brick and mortar for your own O&O or do you sort of start thinking about wholesale? And there's a, it's almost like it's everything's got a bad rap these days, but there's nothing wrong with it. This is how companies have grown for years. But you're sitting and talking about sort of focus and of course getting the basics right. And I appreciate you're a really young brand, but I am curious about if you think that you can become a huge brand Mm -hmm. because you've got a big market Hmm. um, and stay direct to consumer. I think we'll find out. I don't think anyone knows the answer to that question because no one's no one's done this in this category before. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at retail, so Home Depot and Lowe's together do $13 billion a year in, in outdoor lawn and garden. Mm, so, that's the B. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an absolutely massive thing, and that's where our customers are today. They're going to the store, and that's their pattern. Um, and so it is a major shift. Instead, this time, uh, go online. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's asking a lot. Um, if there's a ceiling there, I, you know, I'm not sure. Um, but I'm, I'm not anti-retail. I'm not anti-brick-and-mortar at all. I, I'm, I would love to be on shelf. So, yeah. yeah. So it could be part of the plan. What about going, um, how does sort of like Amazon or kind of marketplaces, you know, fit into A, kind of your thesis as a company, but also your approach as somebody who runs the company? Um, I'll be totally frank about Amazon. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's, I think there's there's an incredible complexity around how it uh, interplays with a business like ours, especially given that the, so much of the value we deliver is around customization. We can't do that on that platform. Right. Um, but of course, they have an, a massive audience. We can get great credibility from reviews, things like that. So there's always these things to weigh out. Um, we're still trying to understand that. Um, but yeah. We, yeah. I like it. I, li- I like that you're not giving absolutely anything sort of, nothing's off the shelf. Yeah. I think a lot of people do start brands now and sort of say, you know, this is the one thing I won't do. And that's not the case with how you're thinking of it, which is different. Well, my mission isn't isn't around purely D to C or some you know uh, VC right. benchmark or anything like that. It's it's really about the the cause we're going after. Uh, right. The and, actual and, product. Yeah, the actual product, the experience, and getting people to take care of their land in a better way. That's that's a big deal to me. So. Absolutely. Um, last question, I guess. What is the biggest challenge that you're finding, um, not specifically in your category, but just in the kind of building a brand business? Um, you know, I think uh, um, awareness is monetized heavily. Um, and, and so, you know, that's always a challenge is, is the dollars it costs to get people aware of what you're doing and, and why you matter. We we're lucky to get in fantastic press. Our reviews are just bonkers amazing, which makes me so happy. But, uh, you know, we have um, so many people to talk to. And I, and I wish we could talk to them all right now. So Makes sense. It's all about scale. And that's all for today's episode of the Modern Retail Podcast. Thank you, Coulter, for being on the show. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. Our producer, of course, is Pierre Bienname, who also did our amazing theme music. If you like the show, please head to your iTunes store, search for a show, leave us a review and a rating. Thanks again for listening.